Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we'll talk about paranoia at the movies and our love of audiobooks. We also touch on a Wes Anderson cult classic and hit another week of series survival. It's time for a top three turf war. For the upcoming release of Darren Aronofsky's Mother, this Friday, September 15th, we are going to talk about paranoia movies. And I mean, I think this is totally in... My wheelhouse? Ivana's wheelhouse. It's totally in. As I like looked at all the movie lists for inspiration, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the best month. The only problem I have is that it's going to be... like I've talked about these movies because they're my favorites, and... And I'm like, oh, man, all my favorites all in one place. I you know, This was a hard one for me because sci-fi is driven by paranoia movies. So there's so many sci-fi movies that didn't make my list because it's only three movies. And I'm like, oh, but that is such a good... I don't know. I love sci-fi. I, I love horror. I love all that stuff. I can't wait. This is going to be great. Plus, BTW, the like buzz around mother is insane it's great and i think that's that j-law vehicle you know i mean yes that's true she is brilliant at marketing her movies there's something about having her in a film that just creates all this buzz but i think it's also aronofsky like i think it's the two of them together is this perfect pairing because black swan had a lot of buzz as well so did the wrestler hold on a second is black swan a paranoia movie of course it is Oh, man, I may have to change my list before we even start. (laughs) Should it be on this? You start us off. All right, I'm starting us off with my number three pick, Black Swan. Ah, it's already there. It's already there. Oh, shit. Black Swan is like, it's my favorite Aronofsky movie, as you know. And, man, like the feeling you get after you watch Black Swan you walk out like a gut punch. Oh, I know. Like a- everything inside of you is like has been tense for two hours. the The paranoia in this movie is spectacular, but it's also really well paced. I just don't think that I can have anything bad to say about the movie. And and paranoia is especially important in the really the plot and the mental state of like. Well, because the paranoia is... Is why. Is her. It's like... Yeah. Well, obviously, obviously the paranoia is like communities and what is happening in your brain. But what is really happening in her brain... It's all her. Is the movie. Yeah, like she has this mental illness and it's... Or like this anxiety that creates this paranoia. and, And really what you get when you realize at the end of the movie is that you've been watching her brain for two hours. Like, you thought maybe you were watching real life, but you weren't. You were just watching the paranoid brain of this human for two hours. Like, wow. I I love Black Swan. It's so good. All right, but you know what? I Okay, we recently watched my number three, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I absolutely fell in love with. This This is the 70s version with Donald Sutherland that we're talking about. And I, I loved... How the community fell apart. Obviously, they had reason to be paranoid. This is one of the first sci-fi kind of thrillers. It's a it's a remake, but I I get sucked in to what 
is happening and who's involved and it, are they in on it? Are they talking? And then you get that incredible ending, which, spoiler, skip 10 seconds ahead if you don't want to hear. You know, the Donald Sutherland scream at the end, which is so iconic. When he opens his mouth and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, I I love Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I've gone back. I only recently saw it and absolutely fell in love with it. So Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it's not on your list. I haven't seen it yet. W- what do you mean? I thought you watched it for club. No, because I wasn't at that movie club and I had a different movie club at the same time. No, this was... You had a, you're cheating on our movie club with another movie club because this was back last summer. Oh, then I missed that month and didn't see it. I mean, it's literally that simple. <laughs> okay, okay. I know you got your whole Pittsburgh thing. That's like yeah, there's a Pittsburgh it's not movie really club. a movie club. It's very. It's in its early stages. <laughs> it's happened once. <laughs> I it's no Toronto movie club. It's no Toronto movie club. <laughs> I went to Toronto movie club, as you know, last this, week. Yeah. And uh, it, it was pretty spectacular. They were very happy to see you. So number two on your list. All right. Maybe we have some cross. I don't think we do, though. I don't think we do. Number two on my list is Rosemary's Baby. No, not on my list. Not even on my honorable mentions. Uh, I think that... Rosemary's Baby, especially when you think about paranoia being in the forefront of a movie, it's a classic film. I think it is fantastic. It has been a while since I've seen it, so I'm not going to pretend to know every detail about the movie at this moment. But I I remember I loved watching it. I thought it was so good. And paranoia is central to this movie. This you are concept absolutely right. Where she just is like something is going on and everyone is trying to convince her nothing is going on, which creates a dissonance inside of her that is the paranoia that bubbles towards the end. And of course she's right, but it's I too mean, late. I feel like with Rosemary's Baby, the ending is such an amazingly good payoff. Yeah. That I forget about the rest of the film. Like, I forget about Mia Farrow's performance, which is actually pretty fantastic. Really good, yeah. And, you know, all the neighbors and everybody who's living in this complex, who everybody's in on it. Um, But I always only remember those eyes of the child and what she gives birth to and that terror of the... Oh, God. It's so funny. That is the least, the like, the least memorable part of the movie for me. I, I remember so much more of the stuff ahead of time, the quiet moments, the like placating that happens. And and I just I'm like, oh, yeah, she gives birth to the devil. No big deal. And you never have a problem with directed by Roman Polanski at the end of that film, even though, you know, he's Roman Polanski. I mean, yeah, of course I have a problem with it, but I don't know that much other than he's like a pedophile. Pretty much. So I guess that makes it easier. Like once you know the extent of what something someone does, you can't unknow that. See, here's the thing that I always find shocking and amazing. I love Mel Gibson directed features, but people can't get over Mel Gibson because he said some things. Roman Polanski can't leave Paris. He cannot. Because he will be extradited back to the United States and go to prison. Yep. But people, I always feel like people give him a pass. I think everything has to, comes down to timing in some ways. Uh, Timing and notoriety. So like. I'm not condoning what Mel Gibson said because it's a horrible fucking thing to say. Nor are we condoning anything Roman Polanski has done. No, this is just kind of a sidebar 
to say that I think part of it is that Okay, so we're obviously not talking to people who were 20 when Roman Polanski did the horrible things that he did. We are not. So, for example, in my case, I don't know the story that much, and it makes it easier to not be so offended by it because I've heard it's kind of weird and complicated, and I don't know enough about it, and so yep. I, I just kind of... All of all of those things are true. You tune a little bit out, whereas with the Mel Gibson stuff, I grew up. At the same time that Mel Gibson did his shitty things. And yep. so it's a lot harder to forgive him. I think that ha- that plays into it. And I think... I think what we're really trying to say is Hacksaw Ridge is great and you got to go and see it. It's so not great. It's so <laughs> it's not It's a war watching. movie. If you like war movies, you'll like Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, I, I yes, yes. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's it's pretty to look at. And, it's, and if you like war movies, you'll like it. All right. Uh, so my number two is not Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> It is John Carpenter's The Thing. Now, John Carpenter's The Thing, you might be like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Also, but I don't remember anything about this know movie. who is infected by the alien. So the whole way, there's a great scene in the middle of the film where Kurt Russell and his crew of people are all kind of sitting around and they have to kind of stab themselves with this, with this thing. Uh, that is lit. I, I think it's fire. I think like it's a little thing oh my that's gosh. lit on fire. Is it kind of like that episode of X Files where the worms crawl into people and they're stuck in a hundred percent, and you oh. don't know who is who. Wow. So what yeah, ends up is happening paranoia. is like, you know, they they get to someone and they're gonna like touch him with the with the burning, um, and all of a sudden like the person jumps up and is like ah. And then, like, changes in front of them into, like, this, oh, my God, freaky thing. But the whole point is it's a claustrophobic. They can't leave because it's Alaska. Claustrophobic journey with this damn parasite that you don't know who has what. And it's full-on offing people. I need to see this movie because, You've like, never seen it? I've not. I don't. I guess not. You never saw the thing? Apparently, I haven't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, you got to see the thing. It's a great movie. Because that's my favorite episode of The X-Files. Well, they stole it from the thing. But not to say that because John Carpenter also stole it. Both of my movies so far are remakes. From a 50s movie that was, uh, it came from, no, I can't remember what it's called. The Thing from Outer Space or something yes, like that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen that one. Okay. Or something. Well, I'm not sure. Well, this one, is, the, the special effects are incredible. And, oh, God. Like, I mean, you just got to see it because you are you literally don't know who to trust. You don't even know if you're trusting Kurt Russell, who's the hero of the movie. Like, you just don't know. Well, I mean... It sounds amazing. I need to watch this movie. Number one on your list. Number one on my list and a better make are top three. Like, I don't have any leeway on this. Get out. Get out. Oh, oh I surprised you. You surprised the hell out of me. I genuinely thought Chinatown was going to be your number one. No, because you know what? Uh, get out. Oh, my God. That's a great choice. Yeah. All right. Tell me a little bit about why it's your number one. Okay. I mean... I don't think that it's a secret at this point to say that it is my number one favorite movie of 2017. I there's you know okay. you already know this. It's, I know this. There's you, no hiding it. It's a, you run through the streets and be like, "Get out! Get out!" I, I and people are like, "No, no, no!" She's praising the movie, <laughs> and other people are like, "Well, what, what does she want me to get out of?" I I mean I I, I 
daily think about do I give it five stars or do I give it four and a half stars in terms of what I would rate it out of five. And I and every time I talk about the movie with someone who's willing to spend an hour talking to me about it, Get Out, which has happened, I just want to say. Oh, I'm sure it has. It has, although not so recently. But the more I talk about it, the more I walk away thinking, oh my gosh, the movie's even better than I thought. It's kind of like... Um, Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream. Because Except it's infinitely more rewatchable than Requiem for a Dream. It totally depends on your opinion because I find Requiem for a Dream infinitely rewatchable where Crazy. both movies, the more I think about them, the more I watch them, the more I get into them, the more I love them. And so I couldn't say no to that. I couldn't say no to how much I freaking love this movie, to how much I love watching this movie and it is all about paranoia. I mean, you get there. The paranoia starts really. I mean, it, you're absolutely right. It starts I mean, right it from starts, minute it one. It starts right from minute one when he meets the gardener running through. Even before that, to me, his paranoia kind of starts with the cop. Like, there's just or the audience's yep. paranoia. So you know something is really wrong as soon as they're going out there, and it's set up beautifully with his like comedic friend being like, "Dude, why are you going?" to like the middle of nowhere yep. where it's all white people. This is not where like you go. And and then you meet this racist cop and you're just like shit. Shit, something is wrong. What's going to happen? And then like, they get up there and you meet the crazy brother, you meet the the maid who is like totally out of the her gardener, skull. Everybody. The gardener, everybody, yeah. And and you're just the audience as an audience member, you're growing more and more paranoid even faster rate than he is that's true you're and you're trying to figure what the hell is going on and you you don't really figure it out until halfway through but uh it's a whammy when you figure it out too it's it's totally it's who can you it's another who can you trust because when you figure out what's actually happening it's like wait a second yeah uh which i don't want to ruin it if you haven't seen get out yeah but i feel like you, we don't need to spoil if this if you one. haven't seen it though like like you need to watch go this movie watch it. you can rent it like why are you not i mean we're it? we're at a point where it would take a lot like a lot for a movie to usurp its number one position we're going to be going into like oscar season with you I just think knowing. mother i think mother for you might might be the one to usurp. We'll see. Sure, probably not me. <laughs> <laughs> What's but your I number see one? it this weekend. So, What's it. your number one? Uh, oh, yeah. My number one is Hitchcock's Rear Window. Oh, good one. Yeah. So Rear Window is the, did I really see what I thought I saw? I can't leave. I can't get out of here quick enough. I'm in a wheelchair. But what happened? And do, how do I investigate from here? And it's this interesting thing where you don't just see one room. You see kind of this whole complex of people in their lives. And it all plays out um, as Jimmy Stewart is like kind of telling you the story. Because you, you see everything Jimmy Stewart sees and not much else, which is amazing. And because he's losing his mind, you're kind of like... What is it? What is going on? Um, Rear Window is one of those movies that I fell in love with the second I watched. I've gone back a number of times. I It would take so much to take it off my number one position just because it's classic. Uh, but that is that is why I, as soon as I saw Paranoia movies, I was like, 
And Rear Window gets the win. (laughs) Uh, It's also a movie I share with Becky because she was the one who showed it to me. I'd never seen it before. And she was like, how how is this possible? And I gave her a dirty look because, like, she's never seen freaking Star Wars. But (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I will watch this. Of course. It's before my. And I I just fell in love with it. I've gone back and revisited. And it's just fantastic. So Rear Window is my number one paranoia movie. Now we got to make a list. Now we got to make a list. Okay, so Get Out is really a good one. Yeah, I mean, okay, let's just say this. Get Out and Rear Window are in. Yeah, no, we know they're in. And it's now a matter of who gets number one position. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But how about we go down? Okay, so those two are in. What else is in from our list? You had Black Swan at three, and I had Invasion at three. I can remove them both. I'm almost... But I love Black Swan. Yeah, the more we talk about it and the fact that you love Black Swan, I would say... I I love Black Swan more than Rosemary's Baby. The contender then should be Black Swan at number three. Or The Thing. Or The Thing at number three. Yeah. And I'm kind of leaning towards The Thing because you really made me want to watch the movie. And I'm kind of leaning towards Black Swan because I totally forgot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I, I mean, either this way, these are really two incredibly d- amazing movies. Yeah. You, so, so the thing is classic horror. Classic horror, yeah. But if we're going on paranoia, Black Swan, Black Swan's way more. You're like, right. It's way more paranoia. It is. It's, yeah. It's what you would think of more it's than the thing. It's kind of like a mind exploration of what paranoia looks like in the in head. In your brain. Yeah. Exactly. So, whereas the thing also has just like great special effects, which kind of remove it a little bit because you see the thing right away. You don't know what, you know what's happening, but you just don't trust people. Right. So- Let's put Black Swan at three. Okay, I like that. Black Swan at three. You know, and I'm okay with the concept of giving Hitchcock. Um, I'm watching. I'm looking at you. You don't have to raise your eyebrows. <laughs> is this what? Is it? Am I getting this over Get Out? You're getting it over Get Out. Woo-hoo! But that wasn't why I was reaching my eyebrows. It's because I don't know how to say his last name. Hitchcock's right. Okay, good. Thank goodness. Yeah. Because I've said it. The, the other way that I was not sure which way was right was Hitchcock. Oh, oh wow. No. And so when I, you I get go to Hollywood, <laughs> don't be like, you know who I really like is that Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> don't, don't, don't say that to directors. They will not be happy with you. Uh, yes. No. Hitchcock. Number one with the rear window, which which puts Get Out at two. Get Out at number like two. Like a very high two. Like a it's very like, high. It's like two point nine. Exactly. Like <laughs> like the same way that I I'm not sure if it's a perfect movie or almost a perfect movie. It's almost at number one, but at the same time, Hitchcock is brilliant. That movie is amazing. There are so many other movies that he's done that has also played with paranoia. He deserves to be king at number one. I I think I think we have to like kind of salute him. Absolutely. So let's count this down. At number three, Black Swan. Number two, Get Out. And the number one paranoia movie of all time is Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. All right, Black Swan, as soon as you said it, made my honorable mention. Amazing. What else is on your honorable mentions? Disturbia. Me too. Yes. Shutter Island by Scorsese. Didn't love it enough. Okay. Memento by Nolan. I I'm forgot giving, about I'm gi- that. I'm giving Christopher Nolan a little love. You know what? I After totally we forgot about it. Dunkirk. I'm giving it a little. You're love. absolutely right. That 
is such a good honorable mention. Yep. Um, John Carpenter makes it again with They Live. Never seen it. People are being taken over by aliens. It's sort of, but tongue in cheek. I don't know. It's fun. And Catfish. Did you ever see that? Oh, yeah. I saw Catfish. Man, that movie screwed me up. That made you paranoid? No, no, no. Because you don't know what's going to happen. And, like, you find out that this person's been lying all this time. And Ah, right. Oh, man. Halfway through when they walked into the kind of abandoned lot where they thought it would be, I was like, are these people going to die? Like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, I was very paranoid watching that film. And then you find out the answer at the end. And I was like, oh, I hate this person. Like, I hate who you are. <laughs> and what makes you you? I just hate you. Anyway, um, honorable mentions for you real quick. All right. So I have Pi, Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. I um, figure there's going to be some Aronofsky on this list. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I love the man. Uh, Scanner Darkly. Never saw it. It is such a mind fuck of a movie. And be, the drugs just make them so paranoid. So, yeah. Richard Linklater. Uh, the Matrix. Yeah, I saw that on some lists, and I was like, huh, I guess. Technically, I mean, it is about being paranoid about whether or not the world you live in is real. I mean... That's true. Sure. Um, I also, and these were questionable ones as well, uh, added Fight Club and The Shining after they were on lists. Right. And I, and I thought about it for a bit, and I was like, yeah, you know what, paranoia is a big part of them, but... No matter how much I love these movies, like, I'll be honest, I prefer, I think that I prefer The Shining to Rosemary's Baby and Fight Club too. to be honest. But The Shining is, it's a person going crazy and you know that he's going crazy. Yes, exactly. And it's more horror than anything else. Exactly. And so I thought it didn't deserve to be in a top three, although it did deserve honorable mention. Good call. All right. I think we have nailed Paranoia Movies. Why don't you tell us what your favorite paranoia movies are, Uh, you know, from Arlington Road all the way. Maybe, hey, The Matrix is one of them, too, for you. We want to know. All right. Time for a break. It's Tiff. I know. I know it's Tiff. And I'm here in Toronto for it. I know. You're here. I'm so happy to hear you're here. But, like, Tiff does. Look, look. You know it does nothing for me. Having these actors here. Having you here is wonderful as an actor. Right. But I don't I don't love paying overpriced tickets to go into a theater that is not a movie theater and sit down and watch a film get played out on a white sheet with terrible sound that isn't meant for a movie. Okay. And I think you're being a little listen, like Listen. The last two movies I saw at Tiff, one was at the Ed Mervish Theater in Toronto, which is a stage play area where they dropped a sheet and and Matt Damon I'm sure it was, was the more informant. than a sheet and I'm sh- but It wasn't. It was like a taut sheet. Yeah, that's White what a sheet. screen is. But like those are those are not just sheets. Those are very expensive curtains. Okay, sure. And But it didn't look great because the house lights weren't set properly cuz it's not a movie theater and neither was the sound. The sound was shit. See, I'm surprised because I've seen a few in theaters like that and the sound I, I loved because the acoustics are geared towards like making things louder. Well, I saw a Soderbergh movie, The Informant, with Matt Damon. I also don't love that Matt Damon walked out on the stage and did one of these like queen waves and then walked off the other side of the stage and everybody lost their mind. I'm like, hold on a second. 
why are you freaking like what did he do i walked a stage people (laughs) everybody needs to calm down these tickets were 45 dollars let's hope the movie's good Okay, so I I like seeing movies at TIFF. I try to see other language movies sometimes. Sure. Um, because those tend to be great movies, and I won't see them outside of TIFF. So it's worth the price of a TIFF ticket. Um, I avoid movies like The Informant. And actually, I've never even, other than I, I did a brief stint doing reporting for TIFF. Yeah. And that was amazing because I got into all the parties and it was just so great and I got to meet some great big stars sure so other than interviewing people at these movies I've never actually like been in a, a TIFF movie where the stars were really there okay um, see I mean and I've also been at Tribeca Film Festival and that was fantastic because like we saw a movie a revenge movie and Kristen Wiig was in it and I think it was Oscar Isaac and so on. And the whole cast came out and then did a Q&A. And I'm like, okay, cool. This is awesome. I've seen some director Q&As, but not like the big name stars. Because again, I'm right. seeking out very different types of movies at TIFF. Where the people who do Q&As are interesting and fascinating, but they are not Matt Damon. They're, people are not there being like, oh my gosh, who are you? And the other thing I really like about TIFF, and it's so worth watching, and they usually do it at Ryerson Theater, and so the stage, okay. it is a movie theater, because yeah. you can pick venues that are more geared. Of course. Um, and there, I love to see Midnight Madness, because Midnight Madness has this energy about it, and everyone gets really excited, there's balloons, people are dressed up in costumes, it almost feels like you're going to... Rocky Horror Picture Show, except that nobody has seen the movie, and so nobody knows what to what do. It's be. But people are just as lively. They they dress up. They I play think, games. It's I think there's so a fun. Midnight Madness tonight. But the problem with that is that first word, midnight. Yeah, I mean that's pretty late. Oh come on, oh <laughs> you grandpa. It's at time. Some cool news came out in the world of audiobooks this past week, and that is that Kobo is announcing a audiobook subscription service. Now, this is actually big because Kobo was kind of the little guy, not expected to do as huge as like a Barnes and Noble and other really big players that were trying to get into the ebook game. But now, if you want an e-reader, it's really you're going to get a tablet or you're going to get a Kobo or a Kindle. Right. So Kobo's a big name in books. The only th- problem is there is kind of a big name in audiobooks right now, which is Audible. Right. Audible has sort of cornered that market with their DRM everything. Yeah, they really have. And yeah. I am a subscriber of Audible. I have been a subscriber of Audible, but I'm no longer a subscriber. Talk to me about this. Why is that? I re- I listen to audiobooks when I drive and... I started to go through them faster or was saving up my like points to the next like month. But then I wasn't using that wisely either. I think I probably like for a few months just paid for a subscription because they only let you rack up up to six months. Okay. And I think I, I missed like three months. Like I think I just like wasted three months and I can't get over that. Like at that time I sort of didn't do a bunch of audiobooks for a while and then and now that I know that I wasted all that money and I didn't get those credits because you're only allowed to save three mo- six months worth, I, 
I have a grudge against Audible and I, I can't bring myself to renew this subscription because I'm like, you stole three months of subscription from me. One, I, I'm amazed that you let it lapse that long and that these credits just kind of went away. I, I am so, I have it in my calendar. I'm like, I got a new credit coming. What book am I going to buy? You're like four, so much more organized than I am. Four days ahead of time, I'm like, all right, books, let's see. Is there something coming up I want to buy? Is there this? I decided I would save them for books that I couldn't get at the library when I discovered the library and Overdrive. Okay, so Overdrive is also the other option. You can actually get audiobooks through the Overdrive app. And there's so many. So many. Not all, though. And what about that hold list? I don't find it's a problem at all. Why? I set up my queue. The only time it becomes an issue is when I've had so many amazing things come off of hold at the same time that I can't read like listen to all of them all at once in that so you have to like rehold it afterwards yeah like I'll I'll I'll, I'll rehold it but to be honest I have such a queue of holds that usually every 3 or 4 days I get a new book off of hold so if a book I don't like it great I have another one ready to go now you have kobo which is 12.99 this is cheaper well 12.99 in canada i guess it'll be a different like 10 bucks maybe 10 bucks in, in the America. states yeah and that is cheaper by a lot yeah it's it's 5 dollars cheaper i guess in the states and i think it's like 4 dollars cheaper here or something right either way also because of my random grudge against Audible, despite the fact that I totally am an Amazon Prime member and know they're the same company, yep, I'm are. now like ready to go and check out this Kobo thing because sometimes the library doesn't have these obscure filmmaking books that I like to listen to. Like right now, uh, as I go into production or pre-production for my short film, uh, I'm listening to How Not to Make a Short Film, which is an Audible book that I have. Okay. And it does have the same thing, the same Audible thing, where your first month you get a free book, right, right. off the get go. So you sign. How up many for, can you bank? Do you know? I I haven't ever even thought about this before. <laughs> You'll have to do a deep dive on how many you can bank, uh, and maybe just set up a calendar notification. Oh, you're so. Or I wish I was as organized as you are. See, I don't mind buying audiobooks because you get them forever. So if I cancel my Audible su uh, subscription, you get to keep. Your I books. still get to keep my books. I still have all of my Audible books. Right. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about that. I'm sure Kobo will probably do the same thing. I haven't really deep dived into that. I, I one, I love that there is this new little contender that I'm kind of like, I'm interested in because I have a Kobo. Right. I'm a Kobo user. Um. I love my Kobo app. I read on my phone and my iPad and stuff, and I'm all Apple. But I use, I have all the apps, and of all of them, like Kindle, Kobo, iBooks, Kobo is by far my favorite. Uh, I love the Kobo app. Um, obviously, I actually have a Kobo, so it's like the Kobo software in that. But I also have the apps on my phone and uh, on my tablet, just in case, like, uh, I don't know, where wherever I'm at. Maybe I'm in a subway. I can quickly open the app and it'll find the page and it'll do the thing. And it's great because now TTC has Wi-Fi and all the stations. Only sort in of. the station. It's Only really in the I know, it's weird. And then every time you go in, you have to click the stupid I agree. Like, can't that I agree last for a month? It would be great. I don't know. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about our audiobooks. Yes. <laughs> and we are starting a new audiobook. 
We are. And actually, we want to invite you to listen or read this book along with us. So we're going to give you like a good lead time so that you can choose your preferred method of consuming the book. I'm going to listen to the audiobook. I don't know about you. I'm going to listen to the audiobook as well. And uh, so we will comment even on the audio quality and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's for a new segment that will be coming soon. And in this segment, we will be talking about books. That's right. And at least a book that we, we read together. And the first book is going to be The Disaster Artist. We're going to read this book together or listen to this book together, however we, however you choose. And we're going to try to get it done before the movie comes out. <laughs> yes. Um, so we're going to be talking about this book four episodes from now. So, like, not including this one, the timer starts at the next one and four episodes into it. And we'll do a countdown every week so that you can listen along or read along at your own leisure so you know when it's coming. So four episodes from now, we'll be talking about The Disaster Artist. So that's episode 28. Episode 28. Take two! We watched Rushmore. And just to let you know, there are totally spoilers coming up ahead as we go in deep on this movie. It's a cult classic. We haven't talked about it all day. I've been like chomping at the bit to talk about this. So let's get into the synopsis. The film opens on Max Fisher daydreaming about being the most gifted mathematician when he walks up to the board and goodwill huntings on an impossible question. But he wakes up in the middle of a church assembly as Mr. Bloom is telling the poor kids to snake the rich kids. Put them in your targets, as it were. Max becomes enraptured and introduces himself. And that's when the dean of Rushmore Academy tells Mr. Bloom, played by Bill Murray, that he's one of the worst students we've got. At this point, we're taken through all the clubs and extracurriculars he has. The dean has to intervene and tell him, your grades are slipping. If you want to remain at Rushmore, you'll have to lose some of them. You see, Max is on a scholarship. He was plucked into Rushmore by the dean in second grade when he wrote a play and the dean saw something in him. So he's been riding that high up until this point and now he's 15 years old. How old are you in grade, in second grade? Seven, eight years old? Yeah, you turn eight. So we rounded up. He's been sliding on his scholarship for seven years at Rushmore Academy. And what you need to know is that Rushmore Academy is his life. It gives him status and it gives him a sense of self. It gives him Miss Cross. Totally. Miss Cross is this first grade teacher that Max becomes utterly obsessed with. I mean, like really obsessed. He saves the Latin class for her because in passing she said it was romantic. And Max even asks Mr. Bloom for $35,000 to build an aquarium for her because she likes fish. But things really go off the rails when he's kicked out of school and forced to go to a public school with normal everyday folk. This is when Bill Murray's Mr. Bloom realizes he's in love with Miss Cross and starts to date her behind Max's back. Now remember, Mr. Bloom is a grown-ass man. Max is 15 years old, and at no point in Max's warped brain is she not his true love. Meanwhile, Max is starting to get the hang of this public school thing when his old pal from Rushmore tells him of Mr. Bloom and Miss Cross. All out war ensues. Oh yeah, they start going tit for tat. 
Max locks Mr. Bloom in a room with bees. Bloom runs over his bicycle, etc. It's, in fact, my favorite part of the movie. Really? Really. Anyway, after the final confrontation between Miss Cross and Max, Max leaves it alone, walks away, abandons school, and joins his father working at his barber shop, a profession he has constantly lied about to his peers. And it's at that barber shop when he learns that Miss Cross and Mr. Bloom have broken up. He grabs his bicycle, the mashed up one, goes to Miss Cross's apartment and places it in the road to gain sympathy, as if he's been hit by a car. Some fake blood seals the deal. While Miss Cross is cleaning him up, Max makes his move and Miss Cross pulls back. Max finally concedes and leaves the same way he came in, through her window. Mr. Bloom and Max bury the hatchet, and in a bold move, Max convinces Bloom to go ahead and build the aquarium for Miss Cross anyway. She doesn't come to the opening. But Max has one last play. Now performing at the public school, he sneakily sits Bloom and Cross together. They fall back into whatever it was they were doing, and the film ends with a dance sequence where Mr. Bloom dances with Max's new girlfriend, Margaret Yang. Miss Cross and Max have one last conversation about her deceased husband when his father calls on him to dance. Max yells to the DJ to change the music and Ooh La La by Faces plays during one last dance. One with Miss Cross and Max as the curtain folds in on them. And that's the end of the movie. So what'd you think? Rushmore. This is our second time watching it. It is, yeah. We've we should we should say that the first time I first time I watched it, I did not care for it. The first time I watched it, I did not care for it. Okay. Um I probably was. It was 1998. It was probably. I was probably 17 or 18 years old when I first saw this movie. I've never watched it since. I saw it maybe like five years ago because it's been on a lot of people's like, oh, you need to watch this list. And I really do like Wes Anderson. I'm a big fan of his movies. And. I haven't really been excited to revisit it. I'm glad that I watched it again this time, but. I, I think I'm done. Me too. I am. I'm glad that I went back. I do not love this movie. I think it's better than the last time I watched it. Yeah. I saw more things in it this time than my stupid Spielberg mind of 17 years old ever saw. <laughs> um, there were some things I liked, but mostly I don't think this is one of Wes, Cra- Wes Anderson's. I don't think this is one of Wes Anderson's best films. I think it's okay. Yeah. I I see a lot in this movie, but I wasn't able to go along for the ride, and that prevents me from loving the movie. And what prevents you from going along for the ride? Like, is it is it Max? It's Max. It's Max. Like, I, I can't, other things in this movie work, and the script works, and the idea works, and I love the visual style, and... There's not much I don't like, and yet I don't like the movie. And again, it's not because Jason Jason Schwartzman, who plays Max, is untalented because he's very talented. It's that there's something about his portrayal of this character where I just couldn't like him. Like, I couldn't, for two hours, I couldn't like Max. And, And the more Max did, the more upset I got. I didn't like the battle, like where you said that was your favorite part of the movie. That was my least favorite part of the movie. That was maybe the 
I think I laughed three times, and that was my first laugh in the movie, and that comes halfway through the film. I don't mind not laughing out loud because this is like amusing comedy. So, but I didn't laugh because I was upset. I also thought Schwartzman was captivating in his creepiness, and I I couldn't. Like, he was like a train wreck to watch. I could not look away. And it kept reminding me of the nice guy who thinks he's entitled because he's a quote-unquote gentleman. Yes. And I was like, that holy he is, shit. That is the epitome of that. But I was like, holy shit, this is 1998. We weren't talking about this. This is oh, no. a fairly newer people phenomenon. People were talking about it. You think people were talking about the nice guy phenomenon? Absolutely. I felt like that was something that just registered in the last five, six years. No way. Nice. Well, like maybe the negative view, but like the beginnings of it, nice guys finish last, which is ultimately what the nice guy phenomenon is all about. This concept that, oh, I'm a nice guy and I finish last. Why didn't that, she give me a I I'm a gentleman, so you should give me a, 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 a shot. That's been around, I feel like, forever. Forever. It's, it comes down to entitlement. He is literally entitled this whole movie for I don't know what reason. <laughs> like, Well, he's entitled because he, he wrote a play in grade two and they saw something in him, so they took him. But he's not, like, a good student. No. He's not necessarily amazing in any way, shape, or form. No. He's just this guy who's like, I'm special, motherfuckers, and you're going to hear this. I am special. Yeah. What up? And that's it. And whenever he was in a room with Miss Cross, you know, we talked about paranoia at the beginning of the episode. That's how I felt. I felt like tense and like, I don't want you near her. Yeah, I felt so. It, it was dangerous. Grossed out. I didn't feel. I didn't get the danger, but I, it was gross. Like I was like, "Oh gosh, oh no, no, stop it, stop it, please." Um, but I also had that feeling whenever he was in the room with Bill Murray. I mean, I understand they explained it why these two had this friendship. It was a strange friendship. But the problem is, I never bought. Why Bill Murray's character would like Max. Like, yeah, they never really explained that. They touched on it simply by state, him stating, My sons are not like this. Right. But my question is this the this that is Max is so apparently weird and obsessive. Well, I mean, if you saw a kid like this, you'd, you'd walk away. And I don't really understand. I didn't see that he saw himself in his... I just saw that he saw the son he never had. But why is this the son you're going after? Like, that's what I couldn't get around. I mean, you're a Vietnam vet. You were in the shit, like you said. These two people have nothing in common. It doesn't... Except, you know, he obviously went for it afterwards. He's a very successful, rich person. And maybe he saw that, like, Max would do anything... If it was for what he believed in or like the lengths he goes to impress Miss Cross are impressive. I wonder when I watch this movie and creepy and and this isn't to say that Jason Jason Schwartzman did a bad job because I think he did a great job in this role. But if they had cast someone different, someone who perhaps added an air of likability. Right. To this character, kept every like, would you lose something, or or would, would you gain something? Exactly, and and I'm not sure to be honest. Like, I almost want to see someone remake the film with a slightly more Michael likable Max. And I think that's the 
problem with the movie is you have no, you never, I'm never rooting for Max because I never, I can't identify with this kid at all. But imagine you, there was just someone different playing that role that they themselves were more likable. And you, as Max goes through his craziness, maybe you're just on his side a little more. I'm not really sure because. It's possible. Maybe the kid who played Dennis the Menace, I would have liked more. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Like that, that kid Dirk. Yeah, was Dennis a menace? Did you catch that? I did not catch that. I was like, "What the shit is Dennis a menace doing in this movie?" That's amazing. I've even seen that movie. I totally didn't catch that. Yeah, totally. I was like, "Oh, come on, just give us like one Mr. Wilson." I think Wes Anderson's best movie is still The Royal Tenenbaums. I love, love, um, love The Royal. Tenenbaums. Maybe Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, that was also really good. I- I don't know, but it's not Rushmore. <laughs> uh, you know, you, maybe maybe you'll get a chuckle out of this movie. I think you should watch it. Uh, I am looking forward to my next revisit in 20 years. And I don't think I need to, like, worry about what happens in between then. What do you rate it out of five? I gave it a three. Three. Okay, cool. We're on the same page. Yeah. So next week, we are going to watch a little indie monster movie called The Lure. It's kind of like... What if a merman was not awesome? Yeah. And uh, maybe they're taking it straight from the cabin in the woods. Who knows? But uh, I'm excited. It's on my list to watch this year. Is it on your list? It's still on to my watch? list. So this is not a take two. We have not seen this before. Why don't you take a watch and uh, enjoy it with us? Or maybe it'll be terrible and we'll just talk about how bad it was. But it's hit a lot of uh, top lists. So I that's how I found out about it. That's how I found out about it. Series Survival. Dun, dun, dun. Another week of Series Survival, and we've got some CBS lineups. All of these shows are from CBS. Yeah, it's like a CBS-themed week. Not quite sure how that works out, but it's okay. <laughs> First up, we are talking Star Trek Discovery. There's a lot that I want to say about this trailer, like almost to a trailer trash segment. Okay, yeah, talk about it. Okay, so it doesn't look like Star Trek. I'm like a massive Trekkie. Yeah. The only thing that I have not seen fully in the television universe, I've seen every single episode except for a bunch of episodes in Deep Space Nine because I just can't get into that show, although I keep trying. Which is why this should totally be in your wheelhouse. I like was so excited. I, I've been like routinely talking to my agent like about this TV show because it does film <laughs> in Toronto. Uh, sucks that I'm moving out. But I'm technically still a Toronto actor. Anyway, um, but watching the trailer, it didn't look like Trek. But fair, you know, a lot of Star Trek was filmed a long time ago, so I'm going to forgive that. The effects do look pretty cool. The problem is that the trailer shows me a story that doesn't, feel like Star Trek. Yeah, it sort of looks like the new movies have taken over Star Trek and But the latest movie of Star Trek to me felt so much like Star Trek. Well, let me let me just say the action packedness of the new movies. I'm I'm okay with that. You we with new technology, we are freed to be a little bit more creative in that way. I don't know. Like I feel like it's like aimed at a Star Wars audience. Like it does look like that. You've got the Klingons. It looks like they're going to war. Um and this all happens before 
the original Star Trek. Yeah, it's a prequel which series. Is, which to me is the biggest drawback. Because to hell with prequels. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Star Trek has jumped around like the different uh, versions and universes. And, and it, I, 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 you just have to line shit up now. Like, it's 10 years before the original Star Trek. So now you have to make sure that you have everything in continuity. Why don't you start at the end? <laughs> yeah, you can do keep whatever going. you want. That's why Next Gen was so great. Well, I mean, Next Gen was oh, it was so amazing. But I'm not gonna be. I I think Star Trek could do a decent prequel. But will it be renewed? I I don't think so. <gasps> no, you're kidding. It's not getting renewed. You don't think people are gonna watch this show? I Why? Don't. It's got the built-in audience. Do people that? Does it? Does it? Because if it's not Star Trek, you don't have a built-in audience. You don't think that Star Trek fans didn't go out and see Beyond and didn't go out and see Interactive? Those movies were so good that they're still Star Trek movies. I think 100% it's getting renewed. It's been too long since the TV series of Star Trek has been on the air. They're craving it. I'm going to watch it. I mean, I'm obviously going to watch it. But I don't think so. I've also, I mean, granted, it doesn't. That is the most controversial, controversial decision so far in the series survival. Yeah. All right, let's just move on because we could talk about this for hours. Forever. The next one up is Young Sheldon. I don't know if I've properly demonstrated how I feel about the Big Bang Theory on this show. I do not watch the Big Bang Theory. I don't understand how it's the number one comedy in the world. It makes no sense to me. I just want to say I do watch Big Bang Theory. I totally understand why it's number one. Don't get it. But maybe more so like however many seasons ago. Like No, no. It is. Today. I know. Today and it will continue to be. And the be. ratings juggernaut that is this show. Like, I mean, look, I work in TV now. I see behind the curtain. It makes no goddamn sense to me how well this show does, but it's going to do well. It's going to do well until it ends. It's basically friends with geeks. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Young Sheldon, this is basically the pairing a studio always wanted. It doesn't look at all the same thing. It's a totally different. Totally different approach. Which I think might be the savior of this. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to say yes. It's going to get renewed. Even though the track record on spinoffs for other shows are not awesome. Joey didn't last very long. But this is like Sheldon Cooper narrates it. So you have that tie in. It's going to be in the same time slot right after mm-hmm. right after or before Big Bang. Which is... You got a Big Bang hour now. I, To be honest, I think that, I don't know that I, I understand why that de- decision was made. The sh- two shows are very different looking. They do look very different. One looks very heartfelt. Yeah, like a, like a sitcom meets the Wonder Years kind of vibe. Totally. It looks like the Goldbergs with a Big Bang Theory person. Right. And so... But and that's where I don't love the pairing because e- even some of the trailers we've seen that like shows you actual Big Bang Theory, just 
the actual like filmography is so different. So it look it just everything about it looks different. It it's way more film quality. Yeah. It's way more single camera like narrative. Yep. And I don't I don't know why, but I find it really jarring to go from one to the other. Partly because you still have Sheldon's voice on it. I think that's what's going to make it work. Is uh, I, well, no. Let me let me say this. I'm not going to watch this show. Oh, I'm watching it. I know, but you watch The Big Bang Theory. I don't watch The Big Bang. I Theory. I no longer watch The Big Bang Theory. When did you drop off? Um, over the last three seasons. It's now like if it's on, I will watch it. But I, it's I like I haven't seen every episode in the last three seasons. Okay. Well, I dropped off season three. That's when it was because like still se- really good. Because season three was bugging the hell out of me. And I'm like, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. Because I didn't like the way they end episodes. I don't understand why they don't end their episodes. It's like they just trail off. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I, I At that point, I was still like number one obsessed with the show. No, I here's the thing. Sheldon's voiceover is works for young Sheldon. I agree. And I'm really excited to see young Sheldon. But you think it'll be renewed. Oh, totally. Again, it's gonna be number a big one hit. comedy big hit. in the world. Here's the thing. Young Sheldon is very different. It's not a spinoff like Joey. It is a spinoff it's like its own thing. Frasier. Yeah, it's its own different and kind Frasier of thing. Frasier was a great spinoff. Of course, it was fantastic. And it lasted and forever. It lasted forever and it was done... It was done right. At the end of Cheers, which this is going to be probably the couple, maybe one or two more seasons left I of Big Bang Theory. I can't imagine how much more Big Bang Theory is They can't keep paying them what they're paying them. Oh, they can because they, they make the money. It's like they deserve, it's like when the company is making that much money off of you. They you don't just, mind, I guess. You deserve a good paycheck. All right, <laughs> let's move on to our last one, which is Me, Myself, and I. This is a story about a man's life told in three different parts all at the same time. So you get his young childhood self. Yep. You get his middle-aged 40-year-old self. And you 35. get his aged self. It said age 40 on it. Oh, he's 40? Yeah. Oh, the actor just looks young then. Well, he's Bobby Monaghan. He looks, he looks young. He's a <laughs> joyful guy. And then at the top, you get John Larroquette as the elderly version of the same dude. So basically, each episode is telling the story of what's going on in this person's life. And I guess they're going to interconnect it in some weird way. How I Met Your Mother style. I immediately jumped to How I Met Your Mother when I saw this Interesting. Show. I immediately jumped to Life in Pieces. I, I don't watch that show. I'm s- I don't I don't think I have anything. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm 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 so sorry for you that you don't watch that show. Look, I know it's good. I hear things. I just got other things going on. I haven't jumped on life in pieces. Becky loves it. You love it. All the women in my life are telling me to no, watch no, no. the show. No, no, Blake Kingston. It is his number one favorite show, maybe of all time. No. All time? We rewatch episodes. Like if it's like we're bored, and you're like, do you start a new show or do you watch Life in Pieces? The answer is always Life in Pieces. Wow. And and I and you know me and I don't rewatch things. I can rewatch this show endlessly. So you think this is like that? To be honest, all the previews we've seen leave it pretty open-ended. It gives you the concept, it gives you maybe some hints. He's an inventor. Um, but it doesn't give you everything. And 
So I don't know. What do you think? Do you think this is going to hit? Well, seeing as it took us forever to even find a 30-second promo of this, I think this show is going to be canceled. I also think that there's not a lot of marketing buzz behind it. There's not a lot of conversation behind it. Um, it's gimmicky. Bobby Monahan's also doing other things, like I'm pretty sure he's still on SNL, and he is doing DuckTales. The guy is stretched a little too thin. I think that's going to wear on trying to do another production. Um, I think this is going to get canceled. I think this has a lot against it going against it, and it's going to get canceled. For me, the thing I worry about the most is the title. Me, myself, and I, when you put it into things, me, myself, and Irene comes up um, because it's such a popular phrase. A yep. lot of other things come up. So your SEO play and the amount you would have to spend to make sure that you're at the top of that list is insane. Um, that concerns me. It is gimmicky, but I believe that the cast is strong enough that I don't think they would have signed on for it if it wasn't good. You know why I think it's How I Met Your Mother, Because of the back and forth way that How I Met Your Mother goes in a timeline of a story. Totally. And that's going to be how this rolls. I I hope so. Are you going to watch it? Oh, yeah. It's a comedy. Oh, God. Coming here's out your, on television. Here's your rules of, uh, it's going to be a 30-minute comedy. I better watch it. Yeah. I, I'm actually going to watch it. Um, I, I'm excited that I know it exists because I don't think a lot of people will. And uh, I will watch it into the ground when it when crashes and burns. Here's, I'm going to be controversial here. I'm going to say yes. I think it's going to be similar to Life in Pieces. Life in Pieces had no marketing. That is true. And it like came out mid-season. It's a word of mouth show. And yet it is so good that everyone kept coming to it. And I think this is going to be the same. And I think it's going to get renewed. All right. So... What are your series survival predictions on these three? You can let us know anytime. Uh, and we will, as always, come back to these in later episodes once we know that they have been renewed or canceled. Usually in the spring. Usually in the springtime. But we will always be here in the spring or wherever we are <laughs> to uh, series survival it up with you. And that's our show. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in again next week. If you'd like to help us support the show, we would really appreciate it. All you have to do is hop onto iTunes or whatever podcast service you use and give us a quick rating and review. It really helps us grow the show. We get our intro song from bensound.com, and we encourage you to check out all of our show notes for more information about the music, our talented voice actors, and our sound effects. Plus, we want to hear from you. So you can find us online at morethemovies.net. You can also find us on Facebook at More Than Movies Podcast. You can email us hello at morethemovies.net. Or catch us on Twitter. I'm at Jester J. I'm at It's Ivana. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'll be back again next Monday with an all new episode. And until next time, friends, do more and watch more. Yeah.